Well, good morning. I come bringing chocolates to everybody. Thank you. Since I retired about 10 years ago, I probably have preached in over 200 churches. But I would be hard-pressed to tell you about a preacher and his wife who have more dedication, more giftedness, more humility, more faithfulness and compassion than uh, Jeff and Debbie Wallace. You are so blessed to have this man as your preacher. And uh, the great thing is I know you love him and he loves you. And it's just a, a, a warmth in this church that is really contagious. Twice a year, I taught a class called What We Believe. It was originally designed for new members. But since it went over the basics of the gospel, many times people who were considering becoming a Christian would take that class. One evening after I taught the lesson, What is Christianity All About?, a young girl came up, uh, college age, and she brought with her a friend that had accompanied her that night. She introduced me and said, my friend is not yet a Christian, but I want her to accept Christ the way I did a year ago, but she has some questions. This young woman asked a question about evolution. I tried to answer it. She asked a question about why God permits suffering. I tried to answer that. She asked a question about why there are so many different denominations. And I could sense that she was asking questions not because... She had intellectual doubts, but she was asking questions because she wanted to delay making a decision. She wasn't ready. So I said to her, why don't you read the book, A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel? And after you've read that book, we'll talk it over. Then I looked at the young woman who had brought her, and tears were streaming down her face. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I just want her to become a Christian so bad I can taste it. And I was convicted that night because I could not remember the last time I cared enough about a lost person to weep over them. How about you? When was the last time you had a sense of urgency for someone who didn't know Christ to the point that you invited them to come to a class or you prayed for them or maybe even you would weep for them? In Romans 9th chapter, verse 2, the Apostle Paul said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. The Apostle Paul never lost his zeal for evangelism. He spent an entire lifetime trying to fulfill the great commission of Christ to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 2, he also said, In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. I want to talk to you about the urgency of evangelism. In light of a parable that Jesus told in Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 16. This parable emphasizes that the primary purpose of the Christian is to evangelize. And it also gives some hints about how can we be the most effective in doing that. It reminds us that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and there is a hurry. And you know what? 
this idea should really excite you because you've got wonderful momentum in this church. It should be easy with the kind of uh, growth and spirit and atmosphere that is created in this church for you to invite people to come. Hundreds of people in the future could be in heaven. Hundreds of families could be kept together. Hundreds of people could be kept out of the hell holes of this world if we will just embrace the challenge of Jesus' teaching here. Luke 14, beginning with verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Now I want to stop right there for a little bit. And I find it interesting that Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a banquet. Now, if you have ever been in charge of a banquet, you know there are two essentials to have a good banquet. You've got to have a good time and you've got to have good food. I've been to formal banquets where the food was pretty good, but the atmosphere was so stiff, nobody would ever come back. When Christians come together, we ought to have a good time. We enjoy each other's company. It's called in the Bible, koinonia, fellowship. David said in the Old Testament, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I think people out there in the world have no idea how much fun we have when we come to church. They have no idea how much laughter there is in the church. Because the world's stereotype of the Christian is a fun-hating legalist or a rank hypocrite. And people in the world think of going to church as a boring experience or just fulfilling an obligation. It's said that Robert Louis Stevenson once entered into his diary as though it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I have been to church today and I'm not depressed. We need to be assured that the invitation is to, to, to church is to a joyous supper. John 15, 1, Jesus said, This is my will, that my joy remain in you, and your joy be complete. And he spoke those words just hours before he's going to be crucified, and he knew it was going to happen. One of the great characteristics of a really good church is a good church knows how to laugh. It's a spirit of joy. When Josh said, Hey, this is the guy that brings chocolates, his little girl, you laugh. That's healthy. Because you know what? No matter what happens in the world out there, regardless of the economy, regardless of who wins the next election, regardless of circumstances, we have this hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for us. That's why in Acts 2 we read, the believers broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Gladness and sincerity are not contradictions. They are complementary virtues. You get people together who really believe in the gospel, and they enjoy each other's company, it becomes so contagious you can't keep people away. Last Thursday night, I spoke at a banquet in Lexington, Kentucky. It was a fundraiser for Sayre Christian Village. Hundreds of Christian people in Lexington were there, and I couldn't get over it. Wayne Smith was there, the popular uh, retired preacher from uh, Southland and Lexington. He's 87 years old, and it was astounding that he was there because about a year and a half ago, everybody thought he was dying. His daughters called me and said, the doctor said he won't last a weekend. And I went and visited him in Central Baptist Hospital. He's in intensive care. I said, Wayne, how do you want me to pray for you? He said, just pray that I die today. I don't want to spend another night like last night. And I said, Wayne, I, I can't pray that you die. I'll I tell you what, I'll pray either that God takes you and you die or that you recover and you have a quality of life. I said, okay. Well, A day later, his daughters called and said, Dad is kind of revived. 
Three days later, he's out of intensive care. A week later, he's in Sarah Christian Village. About two months later, he was preaching. That God kind of resurrected him from the dead. And then two months ago, everybody thought he's dying again. I went down to the hospital. John Weiss, the preacher from, from Southland, was there. And I was there. And Wayne was in a coma. I couldn't get him to respond. His doctor was there. It's all over. And uh, so I prayed, Lord, just let him die in peace. Come Have your angels come. And then he revived again. And there he was Thursday night. <laughs> and I got up to speak and I said, Wayne, I'm really glad you're here. But no thanks to me. I prayed twice so you would die. And everybody in, in that meeting laughed. Now, let me ask you. Do you think that was sacrilegious? you think God was up in heaven scowling, angry that we weren't showing more respect? No. God is called, in the Bible, our Father. Let me ask you, parents. Do you like to hear your kids laugh together? Well, you don't want to hear them, hear them bickering. But you love that sound of laughter. And somehow, Thursday night, I think God was... Smiling too. We had a good time in God's house. So when we invite people to come to the banquet, it's to a joyous dinner. But it takes more than a good time to have a banquet. You better have good food. If all you have is laughter, then people are going to go home empty and grumbling. My friend Bob Jones used to preach over here at Linden Christian Church, and he said when he was a little boy, he saw a big circus tent at a field, and he didn't have money to get in, so he sneaked in under the flap, and he was so disappointed when he got inside. It wasn't a circus. It was a revival meeting. (laughs) He said, I'll tell you something worse than that, and that is to go to church and expect to see a revival, and you find out it's a circus. (laughs) I've been to church where there's a lot of joking and laughter and dancing, but no substance, and you come away disappointed. If we're going to be the kingdom of God, we've got to provide food for hungry spirits. I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard a preacher use more scripture than Jeff Wallace when he preaches. And the Bible is meat and milk and bread and water for those who are thirsty. If the death of Robin Williams, suicide, should teach us anything, it's all the laughter, all the humor, all the attention, all the wealth of this world doesn't satisfy the need of the heart. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you know what? There are thousands of people within a 10 mile radius of this church who have that spiritual hunger. They don't identify it as a spiritual vacuum, but it is there. They have gorged themselves with the things of the flesh and they're hungry for the things of the spirit. So we've got to make sure that the invitation of God is to a sumptuous spiritual feast. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go away hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. The psalmist said, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. However, in spite of this elaborate banquet, the man was disappointed that some of his friends canceled out at the last minute. Verse 18 says, they all alike began to make excuses. Now, understand the culture of that day. Invitations went out in two different stages. The first invitation was, around a certain date, I'm going to have a banquet. Then when the banquet was prepared, took a lot of effort, they would send out a second invitation to those who had responded favorably. Okay, we're ready, now come. But they began to make excuses. And the first said, I can't come because I'm too busy. I just bought a field and I've got to go see it. Now, I don't think he bought this field sight unseen. 
He was in real estate, and the field needed surveyed. He needed to, to plot out the ground so he could uh, sell it. You've got to make hay when the sun shines, he's saying. This is an activity excuse. You know what it's like. There's so many demands on your time. You just don't have time for church. I mean, you're working 55, 60 hours a week, and then you've got uh, your golf game, and you've got your elderly parents to care for, and you're running taxi service for your kids, and uh, they've got the out-of-town ball games, and there's so much to do. We just don't have time for the church. When I was preaching here, I had a little bit of an in with the the principal over at Seneca High School. So I went to his office, and I invited him to come to church. You know what he said? He said, Bob, I'd love to come to church. But you know where I am on Sunday morning when you're worshiping? I'm right here in this office with over 2,000 kids, hundreds of faculty members. This is a 10-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week job. I just don't have time. Now, we can sympathize with that. Life is lived at such a hectic pace today that psychologists rank fatigue and time pressure as the second most frequent cause of depression among adults. But the Bible says six days you're to work. And the seventh is holy unto the Lord, a day of rest and a day of worship. And the world can't figure out how Truett Cathy of Chick-fil-A and David Green of Hobby Lobby can close their stores on Sunday and make just as much money and do just as well and even better than those who are open all the time. It's because God has designed us so that one day in seven we're to rest and worship. But so many are like this guy in a parable. I can't come. I've just bought this field, and I've, I, I, it's just not convenient right now. I'm so busy. The second man said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. The first guy has an activity excuse. This guy has a novelty excuse. You know what it's like when you buy something new? I just bought this motorcycle. I just got this new set of golf clubs. I just bought this condo. I just bought this boat. and we, we gotta, We're not going to be there this weekend. We're, we're trying it out. Five yoke of oxen, man. He couldn't wait to see how they performed, which should be teamed together. And I see him saying, the banquet sounds okay, but I have some other interests that that excite me more. Let's be honest. The church faces some pretty stiff competition from the entertainments of the world. It used to be if people had free time, they'd walk down to their neighbors, sit on the front porch and talk, maybe get into a checker game. Or maybe the local church was having a two-week revival meeting. That's where the action was, and they'd go down there at night. But today, with uh, we're just living in the most exciting age of history. Technology and travel brings all kind of entertainment opportunities to us. I was sitting behind a mother with two little boys in maybe second grade, fourth grade, in church several months ago. And know what those two boys did the entire time? One had an iPhone, and the other had an iPad. And they were playing Angry Birds and uh, Minecraft. And the mother was perfectly content because she didn't have to give any attention to them to correct them, and she could listen to the sermon. We're so conditioned for nervous excitement today that the church looks pretty tame and boring in comparison. Who wants to go to a banquet when you got five yoke of oxen to test drive? Let me say here, I think the church makes a mistake trying to compete with the world's entertainment. We have three things to offer people that the world cannot offer. We offer the forgiveness of your sins, the hope of eternal life, and a purpose for every day. But you know what? It's not always the most entertaining and the most exciting. And if we try to pretend like it is, we're 
getting a, people into bait and switch. But you'll hear people, this is the most awesome thing. You've got to come, man. The preacher's going to repel out of the ceiling. He's going to ride a motorcycle down the middle aisle. It'll be an exciting place to be. But Jesus said, if you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being my disciple. I remember in this building, one Sunday morning, a guy came for the first time, came straight from the world. And he's a guy you fell in love with immediately. He was athletic, but he was vulnerable and transparent. In Sunday school, everybody doted around him and everybody paid attention to him. He had such a great time. He came back on Sunday night. And again, he had a great time. And when the invitation was given on Sunday night, he came forward and gave his life to Christ. He was on cloud nine. I was glad, but I was a little worried he'd made an emotional, very quick decision. So I called him on Thursday to see how he was doing. I said, Rick, how are you doing? Well, he said, I'm just sitting here all alone, realizing I can't have any women over, can't uh, have any booze, can't do any drugs, can't go play the ponies. I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking about the joy of the Lord, he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We're not in the entertainment business. We're in the spiritual banquet business. And we ought to make our programs as interesting and effective as they can be. But it's not always the most exciting There's nothing exciting about getting three kids up every Sunday morning and getting them dressed and come to church. Nothing exciting about necessarily getting up a half hour early and reading the Bible and having a quiet time. Nothing all that spectacular about paying your bills on time and showing up for work every day and treating people with compassion and resisting the carnal temptations that come your way. But those so shallow to go only where the excitement is. We're like this man trying out five yoke of oxen and then bailing out on the banquet. And then another guy gives a family excuse. He said in verse 21, I just got married and I can't come. Well, if there's one of these excuses we can understand, that's that's one. How many of you men here, if your wife said, I'm not going and you're not going either, would show up? You know? Have you seen that sign in the paint store that says, husbands choosing colors must have a note from their wives? We've all seen a good marriage or the wrong marriage become a barrier to participation in the kingdom of God. That's why 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you marry a non-Christian, or if you're a mature believer and you marry a carnal Christian, that can be a detriment to your walk with Christ. Somebody put it like this. If you're a child of God, you marry a child of the devil, you're going to have trouble with your father-in-law. I talk to so many young people who say, well, I think I'll be able to convert him. I, I, we'll get married and I'll convert her. I, he's, he's got a soft heart, you know. But so many times, it's just the opposite. I said, don't be unequally yoked together. Charles Swindoll used to say, if you work in the mud with white gloves... The mud never gets glovey. The gloves get muddy. And so many times that wrong relationship can drag you down. And you say, I I can't come. I've just got married. Or my kids come first. And we've got to go to that uh, game for the traveling team. Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. But those who say my family comes first can miss out on the banquet. Well... While the shallow excuses disappointed the host, he gave a new commission to his servants. 
Verse 21, he says to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame and make them come in so that my house will be full. Now, the meaning of this parable is very clear. We are the servants. We are commissioned to do everything we can to win people to Christ while there is time. As long as there's one empty seat in this church building, and as long as there's one person out in that community who does not know Jesus Christ, our task as a church is not complete. Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 5 says, The churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Growing deeper in the faith and evangelizing are not contradictory ideas. They are complementary. You want to deepen in your faith personally? You want to get out of the spiritual doldrums? You become aggressive in trying to invite somebody and win somebody to Christ. It will lift your spirits. And I want to be honest with you. Most of us who have been a Christian for a while do not do this very well. We think we've graduated beyond this. A guy by the name of Mont Smith was a professor at Hope International University in California. And while he was teaching at Hope, he did a doctorate at Fuller Seminary nearby on church growth. And he had reinforced in the surveys that over 70% of people who become Christian do so simply because somebody invites them to come to church. That's the introduction to the gospel. But he discovered an interesting statistic. He asked people, who first invited you to come to church? And you know what he discovered? Almost 40% of the people who were invited to come to church were invited by somebody who had been a Christian for a year or less. And then it graduated on down to this statistic. Only 2% were invited by a person who had been a Christian for six years or more. That means the longer we're Christian, the less seriously we take this commission. Now, I know why. The new Christian has more context. The new Christian is more excited. The new Christian hasn't been rebuffed. And the longer we're Christian, we've, we've begun to spiritually isolate ourselves from the world, especially in this culture today that is often anti-Christian. We feel uncomfortable. We're just rubbing shoulders with people who don't, don't know Christ. So we don't bring up spiritual matters because we don't want to get in an argument. And we just gravitate more and more to people in our comfort zone. But I want to challenge you with three challenges that if just a handful of you will pledge to do these three things, the future growth of Hikes Point will be spectacular. Number one, be an aggressive inviter. Some of you here have not invited, not so much have invited anybody to come to church for years. I want you to change that right now. I want you to vow I'm going to invite at least one person to come to church with me every week. Cecil McGee of Southeast Christian Church is 91 years old, but he's been an aggressive evangelist for over 80 years. I've been to a restaurant with him, and he's got this little card that he gives to the waiter when it comes to get the order. And the little card says, if you meet me and forget me, you've lost nothing, but if you meet Jesus and forget him, you've lost everything. He said, I'd like you to read that card. They come back with the food. He said, did you read the card? <laughs> what do you think of it? You go to church anywhere? Now, I try to move away from him. That's a little aggressive for me. And most of us say, well, I, I couldn't do that. But you know what? Cecil's been rebuffed on occasion, but he's brought more people to church by his aggressiveness than I ever have by timidness. Now you say, I couldn't do that. Let me give you another suggestion. Why don't you, when you go to the restaurant, you leave a 50% tip 
with a little note that says, thank you for serving me. I'd like to serve you. I'd like for you to come to church with me someday. You go back to that restaurant again, leave a 50% tip. You won't, you won't turn them off, I guarantee you. About the third or fourth week, say, would you come to church with me? Well, let me, let me think about it. You, you soften them up. There's a, you find some way to invite somebody who doesn't know the Lord. There's some guys in uh, St. Louis who love to grill out. And every once in a while on Saturday, they go to a park where there are all little league ball games and all the parents, and they start grilling hot dogs about noon, and people smell the hot dogs, come over, how much of the hot dogs? These are free. This is a gift from Harvester Christian Church. Come to our church some way. Titus 2.10 says, In every way, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. I want you to be an aggressive inviter. Say, I'm going to invite at least one person every week. Secondly, invite people who are different than you. In the previous paragraph, Luke 14, beginning with verse 12, Jesus said, When you give a luncheon, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. You'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When you invite and you evangelize, God says, I'm going to reward you for that someday. We tend to invite people we feel comfortable with. But the Lord wants people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in his kingdom. There are people in this community struggling with addictions. Some struggling with broken families. Broken bodies, broken hearts. Some are just desperate. Invite them to come. And you know what? They're wealthy, influential people. Everybody's intimidated by it. Nobody invites them. You invite them. In, the, in this parable, in verse 23, the man giving the banquet said, Go out into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the master told the servant to go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. My son, Phil, is a Louisville Metro policeman. But he has enrolled his two sons, age 9 and 12, in what's called the East End Warriors football program. Now, that's a pretty aggressive football program, kind of the elite football program in town. A lot of ex-NFL players and Former U of L players have their sons in that league. Seventy-five percent of them are African American. But Phil has enrolled his two. Son- My grandsons are getting kicked all over the place in football. And Phil says, "Hey, Dad, I could enroll my kids in the soccer program at church and stand on the sidelines with my friends and feel comfortable. But this is my mission field." And he invites the kids and their parents to come to church. And he'll say, hey, my son Andy's going to be baptized Saturday night. Want the whole team there? Uh, we'll throw a pizza party afterward and feed everybody pizza, won't we, Dad? You know, and we, so he invites them to come. <laughs> and you know what? He's in, a lot of them have come. He's baptized a number because he gets out of his comfort zone. And he finds somebody who doesn't know Christ, doesn't go to church, and invites them. Here's the third challenge. Don't get easily discouraged. Be relentless. The first three invitations were rejected, but the servants were told, you keep on inviting. Let's be honest. Some people are not going to respond affirmatively to your invitation. Let's be real honest. Most people are not going to respond affirmatively. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. When he sent his disciples out, he said, now if they reject you, you just shake the dust off your feet and you go on to the next town. The Apostle Paul was a persuasive preacher. But we read, some ridiculed him. Some said, well, we'll talk to you again. But a few believed. A few believed. 
I could ask any salesman in this room, do you have more rejections or more sales? And they will tell you, boy, if you're a salesman, you've got to be able to take the no and you've got to live off the yes. There might be eight or ten rejections, but that one yes makes it worth it. We can't be thin-skinned. Uh, Liz Higgs, popular women's speaker, says it takes on the average of 13 contacts before a non-Christian will respond to the gospel. So if somebody tells you no, don't get discouraged. You might be number eight. And you're just paving the way for the next person. Why is it? We don't have any trouble talking about our favorite restaurant to people we don't know very well or the movie we just saw. Or we sure don't have any trouble talking about our children or grandchildren. We don't have any trouble talking about our favorite team even though we know that's going to turn half the audience off. But why is it when it comes to Jesus Christ, we back off? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you. But if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. I want to tell you about the, uh, the Christmas present I got this past year. One of the nicest things. A couple sent me an email and invited me to come, me and my wife, to come to their house for a Christmas brunch. I could remember this name barely from three, four decades ago. And I said, well, Judy, we're not doing anything. Let's go. We rang the doorbell, nice house, and the hostess met us, introduced us to her husband, and then to, he introduced us to his siblings and their mates and 19 kids running around this house and two more on the way. And I learned that this was, uh, you can tell by the kids' attitude, this was an annual event, this brunch, and they were all excited being with their cousins. We were the only non-members, non-family members there. Wondered why we were there. Just before we ate, uh, one of the girls said, uh, we want you to sit down in these two chairs. She said, you're probably wondering why we invited you here. She said, back in the early 80s, we had... Uh, we had problems in our family. My mom and dad got a divorce. My dad wound up going to prison. And I was invited by a person named Wanda to come to Southeast Christian Church. And I came and you preached the gospel. And we got you here today to thank you for being faithful and preaching the gospel because it was like food to me to a starving soul. When I gave my life to Christ and I was baptized, it was like a 10-ton load was off my shoulders. I knew I was forgiven and free in Christ. And so I, I've been faithful over the years. This is my husband, Barry, and he is a preacher in Brazil, Indiana, and these are our eight kids, and we want to thank you for preaching the gospel. Then her sister stood up and said, My name is uh, Diane, and Carolyn, my sister, invited me to come to church back in the 80s. I was in college, and you, I came, and she told me the scripture that I preached on whenever she first came. She said, that scripture really convicted me because I knew as a college girl I was living a duplicitous life, and I gave my life to Christ, and I got involved in the youth group, and I met my husband here, and my husband Mark and I have spent seven years in Papua New Guinea taking the gospel and translating the Bible to people who don't know Christ. These are our six kids, one on the way. Then the brother stood up and said, My name is Michael. This is my godly wife, Ani. And we have these three children. She homeschools them. I am the dean of students at the University of Lowell. I'm trying to be faithful in taking the gospel to the University of Lowell. We want to thank you for preaching the gospel. Then one by one, 
The kids who were old enough stood up and said, My name is Peter. I was baptized on. My name is Andrew. I was baptized on. My name is James. My name is Elizabeth. I was baptized on. They all had Bible names, with the exception of three of them who were adopted, and they had godly character. And the last boy stood up and said, My name is Andrew. I'm a student at Boyce Bible College. I'm studying to be a preacher. Then they passed out a song sheet. And all of us sang, to God be the glory, great things he has done. I couldn't keep the tears from flowing because that was the theme song we used to sing every Sunday when they came to church here. And I walked away that day thinking, oh, thank you, Lord. Somebody was listening out there because the ministry has so many discouraging times. To see the fruit after years was so rewarding to me. And then it hit me. All of that happened because Wanda made an invitation. Just one invitation, and the ripples of that go out to, to Papua New Guinea and Indiana and University of Lowell and all these kids. You see, uh, the first girl, Carolyn, could have waited until she's 80 and been baptized and gave her life to Christ. We rejoice. But all those lives would not have been touched. I want to challenge you. Today is the day of salvation. Now is a time of God's favor. You respond by making an invitation and saying, all things are ready. Come to the feast. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us when we become at ease in Zion and we're content to sit at the banquet table week after week and the world goes around us and they're lost and we don't much care. Forgive us and then... Recommission us that we would be people who make invitations that will make a dramatic difference in people's lives for eternity because there is a heaven and there is a hell and there is a hurry. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.